Welcome to the new. Every experience with God's Word promises to be refreshing and transformational. Receive today's message with high expectations as it brings power, light, and a fresh anointing to your life. I want to talk briefly about thanksgiving, praise, and worship. That might not be the message title, but that's what I'll be talking about. Thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Thanksgiving is giving God glory for what he has done. Thanksgiving is giving God glory for what he has done, for the things that he has done. It's a way of showing appreciation and expressing our gratitude to God for the things that he has done. And I believe an understanding of these things is very key, all right, to us walking in the fullness of God's divine plan and agenda for our lives. Praise God. Giving God glory for the things that he has done. And we must understand that thanksgiving in itself is a very powerful force. You see, we were, we were brought up, taught, you know, to say thank you, to show appreciation. If you were brought up by a Nigerian mother like mine, all right, somebody gives you something, the next thing you hear mother say, what do you say? And I've been doing that to my own children as well. Why? Because it's the courteous thing to do. And so if we're not careful, we will practice thanksgiving only as a means of, you know, um, courtesy or only as a culture that we're brought up in. But we need to understand that thanksgiving in itself is such a powerful force. Glory to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. Ephesians 5.20 says, Always giving thanks for all things unto God. Glory to God. But thanksgiving is such a... God told me, you know, years ago, uh, that one of the easiest ways to experience sweatless victories is to practice the life of thanksgiving. I remember that day, we are just going to visit someone... Uh, a family member, um, quite elderly, going through some stuff, and I was just wondering, this guy does not understand. If I was the one, all right, I, I, I know what, I know a couple of things, I know what to do, but this person doesn't understand. So how does this person get himself out of this kind of situation? And God said to me, he should practice the uh, lifestyle of thanksgiving. Hallelujah. If I stumble on somebody who uh, is in a fix and is not quite sure of what to do, just start practicing that lifestyle of thanksgiving is a powerful force. In John chapter 6, I think it's verse 11, or if you read all the way from the top, all right, Jesus was in what I would call a fix. He had 5,000 plus people to feed, and all that was available was five loaves of bread and two fishes. The Bible says Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, and then he distributed it. And the five loaves and two fishes that was grossly insufficient to meet the need multiplied and everybody was fed. And God told me from that experience, things multiply in the hands of a thanksgiver. I'll say it again. Things multiply in the hands of a thanksgiver. So whatever it is you have, no matter how little it seems, when you begin to give God thanks for it, it begins to multiply. I think it's Bishop David Oedipo who said, when you appreciate God for his finger, you will see his hand. When you appreciate him for his hand, you will see his outstretched arm. Things multiply in the hands of a thanksgiver. So I think every now and then God gives us, you know, certain things. God 
doesn't leave us without a witness. Ensures that at every time T, there is something in our lives that we can be grateful for. And when we begin practicing gratitude and thanksgiving for those things, it now begins to multiply. Hallelujah. Things multiply in the hands of a thanksgiver. We learned that from the ministry of Jesus. You know, Jesus came to the earth not only as our substitute, but also as our example. Another example we see from Jesus in John chapter 11, when he knelt before the tomb of Lazarus, he said, Father, I thank you because you have heard me. Hallelujah. And then he issued the command, Lazarus, come forth. And the guy, oh my goodness. That, you see, the Bible says Lazarus was bound hand and feet. So even if he wasn't dead, there was no way he was going to come out. As if to say he never die well after four days. How do you come out bound hand and feet. Glory to God. But he came out. Glory to God in the highest. Miracles. God taught me from that experience. Miracles happen at the command of a thanksgiver. Does somebody want to give thanks this morning? Thanksgiving forces you to focus on the things that God has done and the things that are going right rather than focusing on the things that are not. And every time, see, there is more working in your favor than is working against you. But what the devil does is try to get us to focus so much on the one thing that is not working that we miss the one million plus things that are working. Somebody right where you are, lift your hands and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. They say if you are not thoughtful, you cannot be thankful. So practice, the practice of thanksgiving forces you to think and remember Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's a tendency to forget. If he was not there, God would not tell us not to forget. Praise God. Hallelujah. Miracles happen at the command of a thanksgiver. Victory seems to have an affinity for the thanksgiver. There seems to be a connection between Victoria or the victorious life and the thanksgiver. First Corinthians 15, 57. Now thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 2, 14. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. First John 5, 4 says, This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So we understand how thanksgiving brings us into victory because thanksgiving is one of the expressions of faith and faith is the victory. Are we together on this? Hallelujah. Lift your hand one more time. Say, Lord, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So what then is praise? Praise is giving God glory for who he is. Praise is giving God glory for who he is. The qualities that he has. Hallelujah. For his goodness, because he is good, because he is faithful, because he is great, because he is mighty, because he is powerful. When you give God glory because of who he is, that is praise. You're giving him praise. Hallelujah. You're speaking of his qualities. And again, our praise is such a powerful force. It's not just something we do to feel good in church. It's not just something we do to prepare so that Pastor Shola can now come up and begin to deliver the word. Hallelujah. Our praise in itself is such a powerful, powerful force. Hallelujah. 
such a powerful force. One of the things that praised us, Psalms 22 and verse 3, it says, God inhabits the praises of his people. So praise brings the presence and the power of God on the scene. When we bring or lift a praise to God, his presence shows up. You know, in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Bible says of Paul and Silas, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And then suddenly, Kaya Ladabasa, I like that word suddenly. Somebody shout, suddenly! So what really happened there? Paul and Silas prayed, and then they sang praises to God, and then the presence of God really is what showed up on the scene. So it's not like if you read the story down to the end, you realize that God did not show up to deliver them. Because after the prison doors were opened and the chains broke off, they were still in the prison. If the reason for that miraculous intervention was their deliverance, then they would have left the prison. Are we seeing that? So God just showed up. He says he inhabits the praises of his people. And so his people lifted praise to him and he just showed up to attend the praise and worship session. That's what happened there. Hallelujah. But then remember, I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So God showed up in the scene. Hallelujah. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so he couldn't just be in that place and bondage be in the same vicinity. Hallelujah. So the chains have to, had to break off. The prison doors had to open. Think about it. Did you notice that it wasn't just Paul and Silas' chains that broke off? It wasn't only their prison doors that opened. Even the people that were not concerned, just because the presence of God showed up on the scene, chains had to break off. Hallelujah. That's what we invoke when we lift our praise to God. His presence shows up on the scene. And no bondage can coexist in that kind of atmosphere. Hallelujah. We see another example in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat was being faced with three enemy nations. Each of them were bigger than them in military might. And then they were going to go against them in battle. They were afraid when they said these people are. And then they prayed and fasted. And God said, you will not need to fight in this battle and all that. And so he, the Bible says, I think it's verse 21. He sent the praisers ahead. So what was he doing really? He was sending the presence of God ahead of them into the battle. The Bible says when they got to the battlefield eventually, the, the enemies had fought against themselves, killed themselves, and left their dead bodies on the floor with all the goods that they came with. You know, they had been raiding. <laughs> and so they had plenty, gold, silver, and all those kinds of things. And the Bible says the children of Israel were three days gathering up the spoil because it was so much. Hallelujah. Praise brings the presence of God on the scene. When we give him glory for who he is, these are the things that begin to happen. Psalm 67 verse 5, let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase. Praise causes, forces the earth to yield her increase. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, God caused the ground. And the only thing we see from scripture that we can do as a practice, hallelujah, that will force the ground to yield is our praise. It's our praise. Hallelujah. 
Then shall the earth yield. In other words, the earth, because of the cost that came upon the earth, is trying to hold back and not allowing, you know, your, your seeds or your, you know, then they were farmers and all that. So if you bring it into proper context or in today's language, the work of your hands, your labors to yield abundant results. And whenever you find that you're going through that kind of situation, just engage the power of your praise. Hallelujah. The earth will begin to yield its increase. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase. Lift your hands wherever you are. Give him thanks and give him praise. Give him thanks and give him praise. Give him thanks. Oh, such a presence in this place. Shela mana noko yela bandaya. Balananda randaya baka. We worship you. We worship you. We praise you. We adore you. Thank you for your presence. Hallelujah. All right, so what then is worship? What then is worship? Thanksgiving is giving God glory for the things that he has done. Praise is giving God glory for who he is. So what then is worship? Worship is giving God glory by the absolute surrender of our lives to him. Worship is giving God glory by the complete yieldedness of our lives to him. We glorify God when we surrender our all to him. The heart of worship is surrender. The core of worship is consecration. Worship is not singing. Worship is not music. There is the act of worship. There is the act of worship. But then there's a lifestyle of worship. It's beyond just an act. It's beyond just an art. It's a lifestyle. A life of total surrender. So when the scripture says God is looking for worshippers to worship him in spirit and in truth, it does not mean God is looking for people to sing. Because you can sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Hallelujah. Our worship is more than a song. Hallelujah. It's more than a song. You see, music is one of the most effective tools to express our thanksgiving, to express our praise, and to express our worship. It's a tool. It's not what it is. It's a tool that helps us express it. And now, because of how serious worship is, the kind of music that is suited for that is music that is calm and solemn. Because you are pledging your life in worship. So that's why you hear people sound as though praise is fast, upbeat music. Worship is slow music. It's not about the music. The music is just a tool to express Hallelujah, our worship. So in the place of worship, we express our love for God and we express our total surrender to his will. The true worshiper is the surrendered believer. And so worship takes us into a place deeper. You see, anybody can thank Anybody, if I do something for somebody, the person can respond with thanksgiving. 
say, ah, thank you. If, I, if I'm driving out now and I give somebody even five nights on the road, you say thank you. No biggie. Anybody can praise if they see, you know, certain qualities that the person has. Oh, they can, you know, speak well of those qualities. That's praise. But worship takes it even deeper. Hallelujah. Let me try this analogy. I hope it works. Let me pray for Tell your neighbor, say, let's pray, let it work. So, let me take Pastor Tokwe, for example. All right? If Pastor Tokwe does something for me, I remember some time ago, she put up a post on was it Facebook, Instagram, that I saw, and I was really blessed by it. And so I sent her a message to say thank you. Do you remember? She doesn't remember, anyway. Do you remember? Praise God. All right, so what, what am I doing? I'm showing gratitude to her for what she has done or for what she did that blessed me. All right? It's normal. Okay? Also, how many of you have noticed she's a very beautiful, beautiful somebody? Right? So I can speak of her beauty and say, oh, Pastor Tokwa is so, so beautiful. That's praise. All right? I'm praising her because of those stellar qualities that she has. You know? Yeah. Anybody can do that. But there is only one person in this building that I know of who has said to Pastor Tokwe, till death do us part. My brothers and sisters, that is worship. That is worship. Worship goes beyond just appreciating what this person has done. Worship goes beyond celebrating this person's qualities. Worship goes to the point where I say, I now pledge my life to you. You see, if Pastor Tokwe stops being nice, I can walk. If she stops being beautiful, I can go my way. But Pastor Shola is glued to her. What was his vow? Till death he was part. That is worship. Total submission. Total surrender. Total consecration to this God that you have fallen in love with. And you are pledging the rest of your life to. Somebody say surrender. The heart of worship is surrender. The core of worship is consecration. So let's talk a bit about consecration. Let's talk a bit about consecration. So when that scripture says God is looking for worshipers, it means God is looking for consecrated people. And I'm hoping that he will find some here this morning. Consecrated people. Consecration is not a destination. Nobody has arrived. Nobody has arrived. It's not a destination. Consecration is something we will keep doing. We will keep submitting. We will keep surrendering our lives to him. Even Jesus the Christ prayed the prayer of consecration three times in three hours. Matthew, is it 26? That's why of all the different kinds of prayer, we say the prayer of consecration is that prayer that you can pray repeatedly over and over and over again because you need to keep surrendering yourself and surrendering your all and surrendering your life to him. What does it mean to be consecrated? It means to be set apart. It means to be sold out. It means to be committed. Hallelujah. 
I'm sold out to God. I'm committed and submitted to his will. What I want for me is what he wants for me. Glory to God. See that prayer that Jesus prayed. I think it's Matthew. Did I say 26, 39? If you can put it up for me. Matthew 26, 39. Jesus himself prayed this prayer. It says, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's consecration. You are saying it's not what I want that is important to me here. It is what you want. I'm not living my life for myself. My life does not belong to me. It belongs to the one who owns me. It belongs to the one who created me. You see, God created, we say, our mission as a ministry is to raise a supernatural army. You know, in the army, you don't have a say, you do as commanded. How many of you know so? If they tell you do this and you say, no, this is what, that day you're leaving the army or you enter God room. Praise God. But God created man as a free moral agent, meaning God created man with the, you know, right to make his own decisions. And so how can we be an army for God if we can decide whatever it is that we want to do? And in the army, you can't make that kind of decision. It means that the only people that are truly enlisted in this army are those that have consecrated themselves to him. Those that are daily consecrating themselves to him and to his will. Because we are doing as he commands, not because he forces us to do it, but because we chose to do it. Consecration. And every now and then your flesh will fight it. That's why you need to keep consecrating yourself. So the art of worship helps us to fan the flames of that consecration. Helps us to stay consecrated. Because it's just like confession that we said. Faith's confessions create realities. So what you're doing in that place of worship and you're singing about how you love him and want, how you want to live the rest of your life for him is also a confession. And faith's confessions will create realities. Are we seeing this? So the act of worship and the act of worship is good because it is the fuel for the lifestyle of worship. But worship is about surrender. Worship is about consecration. Are we together on this? Hallelujah. So it's not a destination. We will keep doing it. You can't really teach on consecration without going to Romans 12 and verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And you need to understand, you see, the, Roman, the book of Romans is probably the best book in the Bible. If it's not, it's my favorite. In, in Romans chapter 12, you know, Paul has started from chapter 1 and built a solid case. And then he gets to chapter 12. And he's saying, based on the things that I've said, which I don't have time to go into right now, based on all this that I'm, I've said already, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Notice he didn't say, I'm forcing you to do this. No, I beseech you. Because you're a free moral agent, you can choose not to. He said that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Who have ever heard of a living sacrifice? Usually, before you put the sacrifice on the altar, you have killed it. But Paul is saying, you present yourself. Nobody said, then kill you, then carry you, go put on top of the altar. No, you present yourself as a living sacrifice. They say one thing 
One, one unique thing about a living sacrifice is that it can crawl off the altar. If the fire too much, it can jump off. But you present yourself and you stay there. And the fire is burning and you stay there. Consecration. 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 That's the kind of thing that Job was saying. Though he slay me, I will yet trust him. Of course, we understand. We are word of faith. So we understand that Job was wrong in thinking that it was God that was slaying him. But the heart of what he said there is the heart that we must have. Hallelujah. That no matter what, I'm committed to this God. I'm committed to this cause. I'm consecrated to his will. That's what Jesus was praying there. If it is possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will. Consecration is putting the will of God above your own will, above your own desires. Hallelujah. It says, holy and acceptable, for this is your reasonable service. This is your rightful act of worship. So if this is not there, every other service is unreasonable. This is your reasonable service. This is your reasonable service. Are you getting something? Thank you, Holy Ghost. The consecrated life is costly, but it pays. The consecrated life is costly. It will cost you something. It will cost you several things. Ah, but it pays. Hallelujah. It pays. It pays to live a consecrated life. And if we go to Jesus again, our perfect example, the Bible says of him in, give me Philippians 2 from verse 6. It said, he taught it not robbery to be equal with God. Please help me. From verse 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Go on. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Can you see a living sacrifice? He humbled himself. It's not that they tied him and they forced him. Who won't tie Jesus down and say, one day I'm to cross? No, he's the one that laid his life down. He said, I have the power to lay down to take it up. Now see the effect, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, of things on earth, of things underneath the earth. And every tongue to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. See the end result of Jesus' consecration. God gave him, has it occurred to you that demons don't tremble at the name of Jehovah? They tremble at the name of Jesus. The authority was placed in Jesus' name, not in the name of his father. Hallelujah. Consecration. Consecration. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame and what was happening to him now and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The end result of our consecration is another level of glory. Consecration is costly, but it pays. The consecrated life is costly, but it pays. It pays. So let your life tell the full story of consecration. Don't let your life, because there is a kind of mindset that people have when they hear consecration. And some people are not liking me that this is a topic <laughs> I chose to talk about or they gave me to talk about all joint. <laughs> because there's a certain kind of mindset that we have when we think consecration. We're just thinking about, ah, God no gonna agree us, me will do. God no agree for anybody, amen. God no agree us, me will do what you won't do now. Eh? <laughs> Hallelujah. So a lot of people are focusing on the sacrifices involved in the consecrated life. And they are failing to look at the glory that is at the end. Because Paul said, oh, I know that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. There's glory at the end. Hallelujah. So don't let your life be the life that somebody looks, like, looks at and feels like, ah, living a consecrated life is not good because I will end up like this person. Hallelujah. Listen, if you consecrated your life to God and your life has not gone up to a whole new level, it's not because of your consecration. Ah, let me say it again. If you live the life of consecration and your life has not experienced an elevation, that thing is not the result of your consecration. It's probably the result of your foolishness or your stupidity or something that you are not doing other than consecration. So don't put the blame on the consecrated life. It's either that or it's you're in process. You have not yet gotten there yet and it's still coming. That's why Galatians 6, 9 tells us not to be weaving well-doing. For in due season, what? We will reap. Notice it did not say we will reap if we sow. It says we will reap if we faint not. Help me tell your neighbor, refuse to faint. Refuse to quit. Refuse to give up. There's light at the end of that tunnel. There's greater glory. Consecration pays, guys. If you don't believe me, ask Jesus. Hallelujah. That's Jesus. The danger of a, what's that thing that was this lady? Chimamanda, what's that her story? The danger of a some single story. Yeah. Let your life tell the full story. Because there are dangers in telling only part of the story of a consecrated life. Somebody say, I'm consecrated. Say, Lord, I'm consecrated to you. Lord, I'm devoted to you. Lord, I'm committed to you. There are two kinds of consecration. There are two kinds of consecration. Two types of consecration. First of all, there is general consecration. General, excuse me, consecration. And that's our commitment to what God expects of all his children. 
general consecration speaks of our consecration and our commitment and our surrender to the general plan and purpose of God for all of his people and all of his children. There are things, generally speaking, that God expects of all his children. God expects us all to walk in honor. God expects us all to fellowship, to pray, and all that. God expects us all, you know, to serve, to serve his purpose. General consecration. God expects us all to live a holy life. Somebody say holy life. If we go back to our Romans 12 one, it says, presenting your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Somebody say holy. God expects us all to live a holy life. That's personal, that's general consecration. You don't need to pray and seek God's face about holiness. It's his, it's his holy, when you start talking holiness, they start looking at you as old school. Holiness is not old school. The Bible says holy is the Lord, not holy was the Lord. Holiness will never and can never go out of vogue. Hallelujah. Holiness remains the will of God for his people. And so somebody say, ah, no, we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Uh-huh. Come on now, talk to me. What does that now mean? That holiness is, holiness is no longer a requirement. Listen to me. If your righteousness or your revelation of righteousness is not empowering you to live a holy life, it's incomplete. You are doing a disservice to the revelation of righteousness if it's not going all the way to impact your conduct and your way of life. Ah, a friend of mine shared a pathetic story about a lady in church, Osha or something in church. <laughs> I think this happened back on campus. And a club guy came to church. You know, sometimes club guys come to church to scout. And this club guy came to church you know, and was able to, you know, <laughs> trick her or whatever it is. Uh, what's the word they use now? We used to say toast then. Is this, how do they? We used to say razzle then. I don't know the word that is ready now. Don't tell I do these things. And this February, Valentine, they come. Anyway, so the guy was able to talk her into going home with him and sleeping with her. So this guy slept with this lady. And the club guy woke up the next morning and was feeling bad. That, ah, I've done something bad. I go, God, house, go carry you. And the lady turned to him and said, No worry, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Error. Error. Scripture says, Romans 5 17. It says, They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. My brother, you are not reigning if you are not reigning over sin. You are not walking in victory if you are not walking in victory over the flesh. So that righteousness as a revelation that you have is supposed to... Have, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. have you seen Romans 6.6? 6? Romans 6.6. 6. It says our old man was crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You see, at the new birth, righteousness was not only imputed to us, it was also imparted to us. So it's not just a standing, it is also a nature. 
So Romans 6, 6. It says that the body of sin might be destroyed. That word body, body of sin. One of the meanings of that word is that which casts a shadow. That which casts a start shadow. So, I'm looking for my shadow. Okay. So as I'm standing here, there's a whatever vague shadow of me because plenty light. There is a shadow of me on the floor here. And this shadow is here because the body is here. Meaning, if my body moves, my shadow can no longer be there. If my body moves and my shadow is still there, just run. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, the body is what is responsible for the shadow. He's saying the body of sin, meaning the thing that is responsible for sin. The sin production center. Our old man was crucified with Christ so that the sin production center, the sin nature might be destroyed so that henceforth we should no longer be slaves to sin. That's why verse 14 goes on to say, sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, you are under grace. Listen, in Christ Jesus, you have received a new nature. You have received a new nature that's not subservient to sin. You have received a new nature that sin cannot say do evil and it has to do evil. Glory to God. And so we must awake to righteousness. That's what scripture says. And sin not. Wake up to the fact that you are God's righteousness in Christ Jesus. And then you will live a life above sin. But holiness... Holiness. Somebody say, I'm holy. Say, I live a holy life. Say, it's part of my consecration to God. Say, I stay away from sin. I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. It says, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. It's a New Testament scripture. Hallelujah. Come out from among them. General consecration. Glory to God. And so we are, we are making people look at, you know, uh, word of faith people, charismatic people, Pentecostals, and feel like, ah, these people are just playing. Because this revelation, for example, of righteousness, it's not showing in our conduct. These things ought not to be so, guys. Say it again, say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Come on, come on. Nobody doubts what he has learned to shout. Shout with me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say, sin has no power over me. Sin shall not lord it over me. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Remember, faith's confessions create realities. Keep saying it. Keep declaring it. Until it becomes your reality. Wow. So there's general consecration. And then there is specific or personal consecration. Specific consecration or personal consecration is your consecration to the instructions or the requirements of God to you in particular. That might be different from his requirements on the person sitting right beside you. Specific. 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 So when we're talking about specific or personal consecration, we are no longer talking about whether it is right or wrong. The two options might be right, as in scripturally correct, scripturally okay, but God is saying do this 
instead of this personal consecration. So God says to you, for example, oh, pray. Pray like this. Pray one hour every morning. Pray three hours every night. Personal. He did not tell the person beside you, don't be like Peter. Jesus was telling Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter said, what of John? No, leave John. Focus on your own. <laughs> Hallelujah. Whatever it is that God is saying to you by his spirit within you, that's your personal consecration. And listen, if you will go higher in your walk with God, then the demands that God will place on you as per consecration will keep going higher. Because the stakes are getting higher. Hallelujah. Personal consecration. Prayer. Fasting. God telling you to fast. Fast in this particular way. Not only when Dr. K says we are doing 21 days. Personal consecration. God tells you don't marry this sister. Marry this other one. <laughs> that one, it, it hits differently, right? <laughs> Listen. Both sisters are born again. Both sisters are in church, are in Christ. But God says, marry this one, don't marry this one. So it's not a question of, ah, um, this is not the will, or this is wrong scripturally. It's okay scripturally. But God is saying this, and not this. Hallelujah. Personal consecration. The one that knows your future better than you know your past. He's saying this, not this. Listen, there are three possible reasons. Three possible reasons why God will say to you no to this particular thing, even though scripturally speaking, there's nothing wrong with it. There are three possible reasons why God could forbid you from going in a particular direction that is not sinful, that is not wrong. There are three possible reasons. Number one, it might be that there are dangers ahead. Hallelujah. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. Proverbs 14, 2, Proverbs 16, 25. But the end thereof is destruction. Hallelujah. So it might be that there are dangers ahead and God is trying to steer you away from there. That's one. Number two possible reason is that there is something better. You are trying to settle for what you can see because the scope of your knowledge is based on what you can already see. But God knows that there is something better ahead and if you wait a bit, you will get that. So God is saying, no, 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 no. no. Hallelujah. Because there is something better. Number three possible reason. Why God might be telling you to do something or telling you not to do something that scripturally is okay is that somebody's destiny is crying out somewhere. Listen, guys, our lives are interconnected. Nobody lives entirely all to himself. So there's a possibility that God is placing that demand on you because somebody is on the other side of your obedience, waiting for you to respond. The Bible says God, when God encountered Moses, interrupted the order of his life as he had settled in the wilderness, having run away from Egypt. Exodus 3, I think it's verse 17. God said, I have heard the cry of my people. 
God had made a promise to Abraham. Your people will dwell in that land for 400 years and then I'll bring them out. It was now 430 years and they were still there. And then they started to cry out. Their destiny, their destiny of deliverance started to cry out. Call out to God. And God had to interrupt. So it wasn't about Moses. It was about God's plan and God's people that were crying out for his plan to come into full manifestation. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 19. The earnest expectation of creation awaits the manifestation of the sons of light. Glory to God. Let me close with this story. I think it was in the year 2006. I graduated from the faculty of pharmacy. At this time in Obafemi Awolo University, at this time I was assistant pastor of Kingsword Campus Church, serving under Pastor Emmy. I remember Pastor Emmy has asked me, what's your plan? What's, what next? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to Lagos, you know, and all that. I came, I had not left campus completely, but I remember I came to Lagos, probably beginning to scout for a place to do my internship. My sister had already said, oh, she has this friend in Chevron, Chevron, a pharmacist in Chevron Hospital. I said, ah, that's a good place to do internship. Now let's go there. And I remember I was in service. Then Kingsward, Ikeja, I used to meet at Paragon, Paragon, whatever hall, at Denny Jones. I remember that service. Pastor Noel ministered in that service. And cut the long story short, somewhere in the, uh, in the course of that service, God spoke to me and told me to go back to Ife. And so I went back to Ife, got an internship, internship placement, in the faculty of pharmacy. I picked the faculty of pharmacy instead of the teaching hospital, even though that would have paid me more financially. But I knew that if I was working in the teaching hospital, I would have to be doing shifts and calls and things like that. I might not, I might not be able to you know, focus a lot more on the assignment. So I picked the faculty of pharmacy. And God spoke to me, showed me visions of the things that he wants to do in the fellowship. And so I poured myself out, guys, for like the next two plus years of my life. I poured myself out as a drink offering. I gave my everything and my all, as much as I could, pursuing that vision that God gave me, those things that God was showing me. And we had some good times, did some good things, you know, made some impacts. But then the visions that God showed me those things that God told me to ha would happen, I didn't quite see them. I saw some things, but the bulk of it I didn't quite see. I remember exactly where I was, somewhere on Road 8 thereabouts in staff quarters. One evening, taking a tongue stroll. When it dawned on me that my time was up, I felt bad that day. I don't think I've ever shared this story in public. Even in private, I can't remember. I felt frustrated. I felt confused. I felt bad. I felt like I wasted, my colleagues had gone on, you know, and in doing that in my zeal and a little bit of arrogance and some foolishness, I'd made some wrong choices, made some bad decisions, all joined. And so I, I was, I, it was like my life had moved backwards. And I wasn't happy that day. I remember exactly that day. But then, hey, thank God, we've learned Thanksgiving. We've learned to cast our cares. And so I picked myself from there, handed over, you know, and moved on. And God has, you know, moved my life on and, oh, beautiful, things have gone on. 
But that period of my life was always, what's the word? A bit, a bit confusing, so to speak, for me. And so fast forward to today, 2024. I'm standing here and I'm looking at the new. And I'm saying, thank you, Jesus. I'm saying, thank you, Jesus. You see, sometimes we understand the move of God in retrospect. Meaning is when we go back, that it begins to make sense. Why do I say this? Two things. Number one, some of the people that I went back to Ife to pastor, are the Pastor Shalas, Pastor Ladis, and a couple other leaders in the new today. It's now beginning to make sense. Number two, some of those visions that were frustrating me back then, I'm seeing them happen in the new. Every time they were doing it, I'll just be smiling say, God. It was as though God was saying the vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end, it shall speak and not lie. Though we tarry, wait for it because it will not tarry. It will surely come. It will surely come. It will surely come. It will surely come. It was as though God was saying there's a relay race going on. There's something I'm working on. It's not yet time. But I need somebody to pick the baton from the person that ran the first leg. Because I don't need this move to stop. I need someone to pick the button and hand it over to the person who will run the third leg. And that's why I'm sending you. Back then it didn't make sense. But God had something he was doing. You know, I, I watched the documentary that you guys did from seat to Sequoia. And when I heard that part where you people will be calling people's names, Umi, you know, and stuff like that. I was just in my head. I was just making mental calculations. Where was this for me in 2006? Where was this for me in 2006? Chances are this for me was, you know, a young girl somewhere praying. And in answer to her prayer, God was quickening something in me. Looking for a consecrated man that he will use to preserve what he has started. Or maybe this woman was still an unborn child in her mother's womb. And the mother put her hand on her stomach and said, Lord, this is my child. And God said, I need a vessel. And so I'm saying all this to say, that you might be here. Welcome, Pastor Eddie, looking good. You might be here, and God seems to be making certain demands on you. And you're wondering, waiting, why, why, why? Every other person is their life, it just seems to be moving on. Why is there such a demand on my life? Because God is thinking about somebody down the line. Somebody whose life and whose destiny is tied to yours. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 1 about a certain king called Cyrus. And God made certain prophecies about that Cyrus. You know, when we quote the scripture that God is going ahead of you to make the crooked places straight, God was saying that about a pagan king. And that prophecy was made about him 400 years, guys. 400 years before he was born. And God was saying all that, did all that in his life. Gave him victory over Babylon. 
The night that they took over Babylon, somebody left the gate open. That's why that scripture said, I will open for you the two lift gates. God did all that in his life. And then in verse 4, he says, For Israel, my people's sake, I have called you even though you have not known me. So everything that he did, like Pastor Bimbo said, English is my second language. <laughs> now, pigeon English, my first language. Everything that God did in Cyrus's life, he didn't do because of him. He did because of Israel. He did because of Jacob. He did because of his people. And so there are certain things that God is doing in your life today. Certain demands that God is making on you today. Will you respond to that call? Will you respond to that call? Lift your hands and consecrate yourself to him. Lord, my life is in your hands. Lord, I'm longing to see your desires revealed in me. I give myself away. Come on, sing it to him. Worship him. I gave myself away so you can use. I'll say yes. Do you know it? I'll say yes. Oh, yes. To your will and to your ways. I'll say yes. Come on, are you consecrating yourself to Him this morning? I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me in my whole heart i'll agree and my answer will be yes oh yeah heavenly father we consecrate ourselves to you we consecrate our lives to you we give you our everything we give you our all have your way in our lives have your way in our lives. Do what you want to do. Not our will, but yours be done. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. We hope you were greatly blessed by today's message because God still has so much He wants to share with you. So stay connected every week to experience uplifting and life-changing moments in His presence.